Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today, we're doing something that we haven't done since last year, but when we did it last year, we got so many people gave us such great uh, feedback on it that uh, we decided to do it again, and that is to take the subject matter that we've been teaching on in our series and dedicate a Sunday to question and answer time, to Q&A time. And so today, we are going to be talking about not just what it means to be born of God or to have the life of God in you to be born again, but also what it means to have a new life in Jesus Christ, and where do you go from here? And so we posted it on uh, Facebook, and some people have already begun to send questions in. Last service, we had people texting us questions live, and this service, you have the opportunity, if you have a question that you want to ask, to text the number that's on the screen at any time. Noah will be the guy that is uh, handling the questions, filtering the questions, and he'll feed them to Pastor Raul and I, and we'll be sharing. I just want to say right off the bat, we're not claiming to be the experts on everything or the Bible answer men, uh, but we also know that many times people in their journey of faith, they hear preaching, but they never get the opportunity to ask questions. And so we're addressing those questions, and if we can answer it, we, we will. And if we can't, uh, we'll just do what the rest of us do. We'll sit up here and look stupid, okay? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know, George, which way did he go? Which way did he go? I don't, you know, something like that. I don't think I'll quite do that. But anyway, ready, go. I've done quite a few of these um, just kind of over the years, and we actually do a format like this um, on certain youth nights. Um, so, as you're asking questions, please text in questions. Um, know that sometimes um, I'll have to kind of combo two together, or I won't be able to get to them. Um, so, please do not fight me out in the parking lot <laughs> if I don't get to your questions. Um, it's just kind of the nature of it, but please ask the questions. And um, I, have, I had written one because um, just to kind of prime the pump. And they even kind of get the conversation going. Um, this is probably one of the most common things I hear in regards of born again. What does it mean after Jesus enters my life? Um, so after born again, here's a question. <clears throat> I've been born again, but I still have bad habits. Is that normal? <laughs> right? <laughs> Everyone's just shaking their head like this. <laughs> Relatable. How do I change or grow out of that, out of having bad habits. I'm bored again, but I still have bad habits. Ready, set. <laughs> bad habits, is that normal? Um, normal. Uh, yeah, the, the percentages of people that retain their their previous ways of thinking, uh, thus, if, you, if, if how you think determines what you do and where you go, then, then a high percentage of people still retain what's been predetermined or pre-programmed by how they have regularly lived, right? Well, the Lord has come in to change all that 
And it isn't as though when you have a revelation of the goodness of God or the Holy Spirit comes and makes you aware of your sin, convicts you, and you respond to that and repent and turn to him like your mind gets rewritten. Is that people tracking? I mean, you still carry um, all of that predetermined ways of behavior and thinking that your filter is still that with which you perceive the world. But... The Apostle Paul writes, even in in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, actually verse 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I think in a nutshell, how do you determine, I think part of the question is, how do you determine what is the will of God? Uh, Practice. Practice. Um, The ability to rightly understand what God is leading you to do and to take and apply what you read in the scripture. So I would say immerse yourself in the study of the Bible. It's, it's the mirror that which we see the character and nature of God and his heart revealed to us. Okay, first, along with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, you'll, you'll pull out of it what it is the Lord, Lord's instruction for us and how to live. So the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we could say much of it is... Um, Look at true repentance as an evaluation of your past and behavior and recognizing something has got to change. I am not living up to what the Lord would have for my life. I am a sinner. This has got to change my ways of everything. And I will no longer do what is not pleasing to the Lord. And how we know that is because we read in the Bible what's pleasing to him and the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will also show us through conviction that sense that I've done wrong, that this is no good, that that we listen to that. And as we read the Bible, we renew the way we think. So, So we yield to the ways that the scripture lays out for our lives. That I look at my behavior before and my processes of thinking, and then I read what the Bible says, and I come to understand, wow, how I behave, how I respond, how I filter is not biblical. I need to yield to what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, we begin to come into alignment with the will of God. We begin to, it begins to change our very way of thinking. Our nature begins to change. We, we, we all of a sudden the desire to want to please God, love one another, that we be that we be good to one another. Well, what if you were what if you were not a good person? What if you were not a you, what if you didn't love your neighbor? And all of a sudden, by the encounter with the Lord and through his word, you begin to love people. You begin to serve them. You begin to be kind to them. You begin to display. You're going to forgive them. You, you, you begin to get in line. Now, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You'll, you'll find those things in the scripture, but they're a measure with which you could ask. Is this good? Is this pleasing? Does this line up with the word of God? And I think many times we'll find that 
we don't do what the Lord wants us to do because there's a battle raging within us. And I think we may get to that in some of your questions. But, but also that the obedience part of yielding to what the Bible and what the Lord wants to obey is, is where that struggle comes in. Just real quick here, you know, the scripture indicates that we have this battle that goes on and uh, that we're called after we're born of God, the spirit of God indwells us and lives inside of us and then we're called to walk by that spirit and not gratify the works of the flesh. So this is what it says in Galatians 5, it says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and it gives us a list of them. And this is just one list of many in the New Testament, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, that means to worship false gods, um, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies. That wasn't just speaking of sexual orgies. It was speaking when people got together and drank to excess and got wild and partied and did crazy stuff. And, um, and, uh, and then it says, and things like these. So that means that there's other stuff that are like these. And, and then the apostle goes on to say this, uh, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, and the word do there is to continually practice these things as though they don't matter. Okay, those who do such things um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice the opposite. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What's Paul saying? We've got these opposing things going on inside of us, the battle of what he calls the flesh, and that's kind of a bad translation for us in the modern era because we just think of the body. We think of the skin, you know, the flesh, but the flesh was that, that sin presence that's still alive in our members, that, those desires. So we have that going on, but then we have the indwelling nature and Holy Spirit inside of us. And what the Christian life is, is that process of learning to yield to the Holy Spirit and not follow the dictates of the flesh. And the way we do that, of course, is we, we try to keep our life in alignment with God on a regular basis. So relationships with people help us walk in accountability and keeping our minds renewed in Scripture right, and keeping in fellowship with God's people, worshiping together, those things will help us overcome the works of the flesh. But yes, uh, it, it's, it's normal for you to continue to have some things in your life that set you back, some patterns from the past. And that's a normal thing. I know in my own life, when I first became a Christian, I, I was telling the first service, I cussed like a sailor. A sailor. I, I made sailors blush, right? And uh, my, my, my first word before almost any other was the F word. It was my descriptor. And, uh, and I became a Christian, and somehow God touched my tongue and my heart, and I quit talking like that. It wasn't even a big effort. It was like, oh, that's, that's not honoring to God, and it just seemed like the Holy Spirit helped me. And there were some addictions I was you know, instantly set free from, but there were other things in my life that continued, and I had to wrestle. And still to this day, I have issues in my life that I regularly need the renewing of the, of, of the mind. And the last thing I would say 
is if Christ indwells you, you have a cross, you have an empty tomb, you have a Savior who is there present for you all the time, ready for you to flee to Him, right? And you flee to that cross over and over. If it's a thousand times a day, avail yourself of the work of Jesus because that's why He died on the cross, right? Just keep going to Him. Lord, I did it again! And, okay, well, that's why I died. That's why I laid my life down on the cross. Come again, right? Just as you are. Amen. Long answer, but I hope that helped. The next question um, is, there's a few of these, um, really, really common. Um, I see it a lot. Um, It says, if I was born again, or when I was born again and saved, how do you deal with now unsaved family members? Um, I see it a lot of times where you get saved, um, and then all of a sudden you go back to hang out with family or old friend group, and you begin to see what they're doing, and you're thinking, whoa, <laughs> I don't want to do what they're doing, but how do you navigate loving them, you know, and being Jesus to them? Um, make sense? First thing is get a huge Bible, <laughs> and then beat them with that Bible. <laughs> bam! Bam! Repent! Okay. Now, to be serious, don't do that. Okay? Um, Remember that before you came to the realization of who Jesus was, you were blind to Him. You were dead to Him. You weren't aware of what life was. And God worked in your life a process to bring you alive, and your eyes were opened. And suddenly you saw God's real, Jesus is real, He died for me, He loves me, and, and, you know, or maybe it was a process, but somewhere in there, the reality of the good news about Jesus came to you, and you, you began to change. And that was a process for you. And that process probably wouldn't have been real effective if you'd had people with huge Bibles beating you with them. You see what I'm saying? So you have to give people the same grace that you received. And that means to do what Jesus did. It says in the scripture of Jesus toward us, while we were yet sinners, he loved us, he died for us, right? These things happen not while we were in a state of being good, right? These things happened to us when we were his enemies, when we were opposed to him. He was loving us, dying for us, giving his life for us. And so he wants us to model that kind of love to them. So we need to love people. Right? Now, that doesn't mean we go, you know, if they say, hey, you know, let's go do meth together. And you say, well, you know, to reach you for Jesus, I'm going to do a little meth. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you engage in things that you know are not right and good for you. But what I am saying is that you can love them right where they are. You can say, I, I can't go along with that. And I'll tell you a quick testimony. Right after I, right after I came to Christ, I had, a, a, like I said, addiction issues. And, and I'd been doing a lot of cocaine. And, and I came to Christ, and I had this moment. And I'll never forget it. It was like one of those turning point moments. I had some friends, and we went, this will really date me, we went to a drive-in theater. Some of you are like, yeah, Grandpa, is that right? Yeah. And uh, we went to see the first Terminator movie. I'll never forget it. And I'm sitting in the back seat watching the Terminator, and my two friends in the front seat start cutting up some lines of cocaine on a mirror and roll up a bill 
and they snort some lines, and they laid out lines for me, and they passed it over the back seat. And I remember I took that mirror in my hand, and I looked down at it, and I had a moment. I wanted my friends to like me. I still, I, I wanted their friendship still in my life, but I knew this isn't me. And I remember in my mind, those words came to me, this isn't you, Doug. This is no longer your identity. And all I did was pass the mirror back up and say, you know, guys, um, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And that was it. We went back to watching the movie. And in the back seat, I felt like I could have jumped up and down and jumped around and rolled around and, and ran outside and hooted and hollered because I know I had a great moment of victory at that time. And it took that moment. It took that moment and that, that you know, overcoming that particular thing. Wow, that was a great illustration even for this particular verse, 1 John 3, 9 through 10. It says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God, by this is it, it, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I know this is kind of deviated a little from the question, but here is the real everyday dilemma of people who are born of God is that reality that in every decision we make as we go along the way, are we honoring God? Or do we throw ourselves into old practices and ways uh, that would not honor God and are sinful? And what happens inside of us when we do do those things that don't honor God? Are we remorseful? Is there, is there godly sorrow? Does it, does it, do we respond to that by repenting and, and, and turning to him? Which, is, which you need to understand, the Lord didn't create us for condemnation after the new birth in Christ Jesus. So in other words, your access to the grace of God and forgiveness from him it's simple through, through Jesus. And it's by that confession by your mouth and recognition, Father, just like, just like, Father, I messed up again. Forgive me. Lead me. Guide me. Help me. Renew me. Give me the ability. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Help me. And, you know, in... After we're born again, um, we really do hear a lot about um, fruit of the Spirit. We hear about that a lot and um, everything that entails, uh, if it's prophecy or if it's healing and those types of things, um, yeah, gifts of the Spirit. And I think um, probably one of the things is I want to operate in that, but how do I grow in that? Um, and to kind of kind of even start that um, I feel like the biggest thing is, you know, even for me, was practice. Um, I, <clears throat> this was a question that I got now and I got in the previous service. Um, when I first started to be prophetic, that mean, meaning that you have a word of God for someone's life. Um, I remember I had the sense like there was something there that I needed to go pray over that person. I needed to say something to that person. You ever hear that? Feel that? Uh, and so I remember being okay with it. But I remember the Lord saying, okay, I'm not going to give you the word yet. And I'm like, wait, what? And he said, you know, go lay your hand on them, and then I'll give you the word. 
heck no, you know, <laughs> forget that. Um, and I remember wrestling with God in that moment and trying to figure out even, you know, how do I grow in this, Lord? Lord, I want to be, and the Lord's like, go lay your hand on them. I'll give you, I'll give you the words. Finally, you know, I, I, I put my hand on them <clears throat> and the words came, um, given prophetic word. That began to happen, you know, time and time and time again. Um, and I grew in it. And now, you know, I'll get words in advance for people. But if you're born again, and man, you're just so interested or want to grow in the ability to move with the gifts of the Spirit, practice, practice, practice. What does that mean? That means if you feel like you have a word for someone, and remember, you, you, you want to filter it through, is this edifying? Is it good for them? Then you need to practice. You need to give them a word. If you feel like you're like, man, I just feel like every time I'm around a sick person or someone that's hurt and I feel like I need to pray for them, that is the Lord compelling you to do that. Straight up. That is the thing that you are to do. And what are you supposed to do? Practice. You see someone with a busted ankle, be like, hey, can I pray for you? <laughs> Practice. You feel like you have a word for someone, be like, hey, I feel like I have this word for you and I feel like it's from God and I hope it's edifying for you, but can I share this with you? Practice, practice, practice. Um, anything you wanted to add to that about moving in the gifts of the Spirit? You know, I feel like a good, a good basis to start with is an understanding of what it means to, to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to um, understand what it is the Holy Spirit imparts to us. Um, so reading through Scripture, a, a great place is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to start with, and that would, be, that would give you a good foundation to understand and maybe even filter through what you, what you feel like might be these new gifts that the Lord has given you and to begin to unpack in your life. Also that I, I agree with the, with the um, idea of practice, you know, there's got to be, we have to be able to exercise and even step into an atmosphere of faith to say, all right, Lord, do what it is that you want to do. And, and sometimes that simply means that you just act on that. So somebody comes up to you and, and, and begins to share with you that they've been struggling with a sickness. Immediately right in that moment, just pray for them. Hey, can I pray for you? Um, and, and create an atmosphere of faith that, okay, God, be able to do what it is that you want to do. We want to, we want to walk in that. Um, so whether it be gifts of healing or the prophetic, I, I would say that when it comes to words of knowledge and, and prophecy, get somebody who is mature, who's able to, that you're open to, who can correct you who can give you some guidance so that you, you're, you don't just step out and give words that are unfounded and without accountability. That's how you grow. You really want to really grow. You just be willing to subject the rhythms of, of following the Holy Spirit to having other people around you who can speak into your life and, and even help shape that, that you would be open to that. Um, you know, here, here in the church, we, we encourage and we would like people to go get, you know, an elder or a pastor or somebody who's walked in the faith before you just run off and give a word to somebody because we want to hold you accountable. We want to make sure that word is good and it's life for the people around you. You know, we, we, there are some scriptural things that we want to abide in. So, so, but we also want you to be willing to step out in faith and say, Lord, okay, here's what, here's what I think you've given me. I want to do this. Try.
First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And then it goes on to say, As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I love how it starts. It says, As each one has received a gift, use it. You notice those first two words there? Use it. And uh, you're only going to, you know, be able to use it if you use it. You, you follow me? It's going to take practice. And practice is going to imply at times failure. Now, when I talk about failure, I mean you're a failure. I mean there's going to be times you step out in your gift and it doesn't go well. There's going to be times you step out in your gift and you make a mistake. But making mistakes is part of growing. Have any of you ever done anything in life that you got good at that you didn't make a lot of mistakes at? Right? You have? Really? So there's, there's people, well, you know, I think I, maybe you misunderstood my question. Have any of you ever done anything in life that you got good at that you didn't make a lot of mistakes at? Right? You, you see what I'm saying? I know that's a tough question, isn't it? So the point being, if you're going to get good at anything, you're going you're gonna to practice and make mistakes, and it's going to mess up sometimes. I want to add on to what Pastor Raul said about um, the gift of prophecy in particular. Prophecy is the foretelling and foretelling of God's mind and people. It's a very powerful gift. It can change a life, and it's extremely dangerous if it's used out of order. And the Scripture tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14 that when the prophets prophesy, others should stand by and judge. It says that. And what kind of prophecy are we talking about? Especially directive. Now listen, if we're in this room and you get a, a basic word for somebody that's edification, exhortation, and comfort, you're, you're building up, stirring up, and cheering up. If it's just, you know, God loves you, wants to encourage you, that's one thing. And you can share those kinds of words with people just about anywhere. But if you start giving direction for their life, if you start telling them about future ministry, future calling, you start telling them things they're going to do in the future, ministries they're going to be over, people they're going to be over, things they're going to do. Now, you know, who they're going to marry, dates, mates, and babies. If you start getting into that kind of stuff, you're getting into directive stuff, and that should never be done alone. Because they won't hear, if they hear something wrong, it can be twisted in their mind. Um, they might even misunderstand what you say, and then later it can be used as an accusation against you. So you need to have others stand by and help and listen, and then find out from that person, does that witness, does that seem right, is there anything that's wrong about it? That's proper protocol in prophetic ministry, and that's, that's what we do around here. We don't believe that directive words should ever be shared in a vacuum or alone, and when they are, they're out of order. So that's just for your knowledge there, okay? So, yeah. Does that help? Okay. Um, let's go to the next question. Awesome. Um, I got this multiple times. Um, what do you guys feel about being baptized twice, three times, or maybe they got baptized, yeah, water baptized as an infant, or they got baptized at one point in their life, but they want to be baptized again? How do you navigate that? You want twice. Three times of baptism. <laughs> uh, I couldn't pass it up. I'm sorry. That's an oldie but a goodie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard question. We practice what's known as the believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is for people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior in a personal way. Usually that means they come to an age where there's understanding and there's faith and there's knowledge. 
Okay, so that's what we practice and believe to be the New Testament pattern. There are other traditions within Christianity that practice what's known as paedo-baptism, child baptism, baby baptism. And they also, believe it or not, have a theological foundation. It's based in what's known as covenant theology. And covenant theology teaches the idea that... Um, that uh, if you're under a household covering, and, and in the same way the Old Testament circumcision marked the child as being a part of the community of Israel, so paedo-baptism marks the child as being a part of the community of the church. Okay, that's a particular view. We don't believe that view is the pattern of the New Testament, and the reason we don't is when you look in the New Testament at people being baptized in the book of Acts, what you see over and over again is it was when they came to an age where they could believe and they could trust. So what we would say is if you were raised in a different tradition and you don't remember your baptism and you were below an age where you had personal faith or personal belief and you didn't understand what you were doing, then you should be baptized as either a child, young adult, whatever age you are where you can grasp it, and you should be water baptized by immersion. That's the way we practice it, not by sprinkling. Um, and that, that's, that's what we practice. And it's something that we believe strongly about. But I also acknowledge that there are other streams within Christianity that teach difference. So, this is what I would say to you. If you were water baptized, let's say you were, you know, a, a teenager and you got water baptized, and at that time you genuinely trusted Christ, and then you went kind of squirrely, and you went kind of weird, and, and then you had this coming back to the Lord. But you can say, I know I knew the Lord as a child, I just backslid, I got kooky, I got weird, and now I'm back and I want to serve God. I personally don't believe it's necessary for you to be rebaptized. Although some people strongly believe they should be, and when they do, we baptize them. Do you follow me? Okay, so um, that's, that's where we would stand on. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Okay, you sure? All right. We kind of touched on this, this is, uh, just for a moment, Raul did, but um, it's coming up again. So the question is, how do you know if it's me or if it's the Holy Spirit? And then there's kind of a follow-up question or, or kind of a tie-in to that is, I'm afraid to make the wrong decision. Have you ever been there? Right? You're like, you're like man, um, I don't know if this is me or the Holy Spirit, but man, I'm worried that I'm going to make the wrong decision here. So how do you distinguish between the two? So there are two parts. Um, I struggle with fear in making the wrong or right decision. You know, a lot of that is rooted in... If, if it comes from a fear of a failure or a fear of not pleasing God, different, you know, it's rooted in our understanding of who God is and his attitude towards us, if I'm hearing this right. Um, and I think in the first service this was mentioned, uh, that this is really important that we would have a good understanding of what the Scripture says about our position in Christ. And because, because a lot of times that we're afraid to get it wrong, but the truth is, is there's room. There's room, and the Lord already knows that. So, so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, the second half, or verse 7, second half of the, of the thought is, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. Um, in the context of 
the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, it was about guarding what the Lord has given you. Uh, Guard the gifts that God's entrusted to you. Understand your position in Christ and and the role that God's going to play in your life. The Apostle Paul is saying, guard that. So in order to rightly guard that, the Apostle Paul then says, hey, understand this, that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Because he knew that Timothy, as a younger man stepping out to lead the church, was going to battle and face all kinds of things as a leader. He was going to have to make decisions with groups of people that would affect their life, have an effect on their life. And, and how many of you know that there was a potential for him to get it wrong, um, to fail, to, to, to maybe not wisely divide something? And so the Apostle Paul is essentially saying, step out. Have faith. God's covering you. Don't have fear because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Now, now, many times, and this is really important because this can be central to your life. Because for most of you, many of you have never lived up to the potential that God has put in you. Whether in creativity, whether in business, whether in family, whether in even in your walk with God and spiritual gifts. And many times the thing that holds us back is what? Fear. Fear. We're, we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of perceptions. We're afraid. To, and and it's, sometimes that's rooted in wisdom and discernment. But, but so often, many times, it's rooted in illusions. And delusions. And in the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, guard what God has given you. Guard it. But don't give in to fear. Don't, don't let fear rule you. Because, and, then, and then he lays out the reasons. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But he's given you a spirit of power. Power. So the Holy Spirit with you, that the capacity to rightly divide and to understand and to, to overcome, that, that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, that, that you recognize that you are a son and a daughter of God. And love, why, why love? Why is that essential to understand for Timothy? Well, because he's accepted and not rejected. That you're accepted and you're not rejected. That, that sonship, that adoption, spirit of adoptions on you. In other words, you're in. You're not out. And, and that's, it's a game changer from the starting point. You're not having to earn anything to begin with. You're already, oh, I'm already a child of God. I'm in love. I'm in love. I have the power of God within me. And self-control. Now, here is where many of us, probably in a lot of areas, lose it, right? The ability to say no when we need to say no. And say yes when we need to say yes. And everything in moderation, even moderation itself, right? It's like figuring out what are the boundaries and how to do this and where the line for risk is. But, But fear, generally shouldn't be the deciding factor. In fact, in many times, in, in, in the Christian faith, uh, preaching the word, get, using the gifts, um, stepping out, if we let fear rule the day in those things, very little would ever happen. But it's when somebody is willing to say, I recognize that I, may be, this might, I could fail. This might not come across right, but I'm willing to try anyways. Yeah. So that maybe 
one can be reached. So maybe the message can be heard so that it would encourage somebody and fear will not rule the day. I mean, it's just, this is powerful. If, if, if anything can be taken away today, it's that God has great things for you. Even in a revelation that he will get you through the hard things. He'll be with you. Never leave you or forsake you. That right alongside. I'm not saying that you're all going to end up rich and prosperous and, and over the top. But you might. Rich in God. And knowing him. And knowing the power of his suffering. In that. A greater awareness of who he is. Amen. Amen. Well said. Isn't that good? Don't let fear keep you back. Two things really quick. First of all, if you're wanting to know if the thing that you're being led to do to speak over somebody or, you know, to do in God is from the Lord, uh, one question to ask yourself is, will it build others up? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And what's he saying? And he says over and over in that text, if you read 1 Corinthians 14, he said, build up. You know, I tell people in prophecy, we are told that prophecy should bring edification, exhortation, and comfort. Build up, stir up, cheer up. So if I go to minister to somebody and I'm asking myself the question, will this build them up? Will this help them? Will this strengthen them? Will this build up, stir up, and cheer up their life? It's probably from the Holy Spirit. The second thing is simply this. Your motives are never going to be completely pure. Let's settle it. I hear people say, I just want my heart and my motives to be completely pure. I just want a pure flow coming out of me. And that's just a silly thought altogether. Listen, we're marred. We're jars of clay. One translation says cracked pots. All of us, even at our best, are cracked pots. I'm sorry to break it to you. Okay. If you're into Christian perfectionism, I don't think this is a good message for you. We're cracked pots. Some of you are like, yeah, more cracked than you know, okay? But here's the reality. When God's Spirit flows through us, there's always going to be a little bit of us, and that's okay. God knew that. He built into the system our own humanity, our own weakness, and even our own failures. And so, you know, I'll go home, and and you might not believe this, but I'll go home many Sundays second-guessing myself, questioning what I said. Was that right? And I'll get into this cycle in my head of beating myself up about my message, and then I have to just stop and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're, you're broken. Some of you was in there. Some of that wasn't anointed. It's okay. It's okay. And it's okay in your life. It's never going to be completely pure and perfect. If that is what you're striving for, give it up. Because it will hold you back. It will keep you from doing anything. You won't want to venture out in trusting God in your life because you're, you're waiting for you to get all cleaned up and right and perfect and get your act together, and then God will use you. And that's a misnomer, and that's a joke, and that totally has nothing to do with grace. Grace is He makes Himself powerful and strong and gives strength in weakness. Boom! I just feel like this portion right here, this this. This back and forth about this particular topic is relevant for somebody here this morning, even with the prophetic edge. And that's just this. I feel like um, as, as he was talking and I was thinking about it, if you're here this morning waiting to do and, and have faith and step out and take risk, 
for everything to line up and for everything to be right and the fear of the unknown and the fear of failure from past experiences and the fear. I feel like the Lord right here this morning is offering a key and insight into that. And there's some release and movement that, that is going to happen in your life. That there's an understanding that God is the God of grace. So in other words, so you do step out. You do risk it. You do, you do make a decision. And it doesn't look the way you thought it would look. But his grace is sufficient for you. His grace. But if you are unable to move because you're stuck for fears. That's not the place God would have you. And, and I, yeah. I'm getting a great word picture in my mind right now. I used to run track, and I, I was a hurdler for a, a season. I know you don't believe it. It's true. And I was pretty good, okay? So it's, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. So when you're running hurdles, the hurdles are designed to fall over easily if you hit them so you won't injure yourself on them. A lot of people don't know that. And you regularly, when you run hurdles, you regularly hit the hurdles. It happens all the time. And in fact, your goal is to be as close to hitting them as you can be. You just want to practically skim them. You want to get your leg over as quick as possible. You want to take that step. And you get that timing and you get it down. And you know what happens? You hit hurdles pretty regularly when you run track. Can you imagine watching a hurdler run down the track and stopping every time to pick up his hurdles. And that's what a lot of us want to do in our lives. We get so hung up on the hurdle we knocked over, we want to stop and pick it up and kind of, you know, sit there for a while and go, man, I didn't do it just perfectly, and I I skimmed that hurdle and I knocked it over. And it keeps us from making forward progress. And what I want to encourage you with, as you're walking out in God and venturing into your gifts and your callings and just doing whatever the Lord calls you to do in life, you're going to hit some hurdles, and you're going to knock them over. But you got to keep running, and you got to keep jumping right? You got to get over them and you got to get to the finish line. That's the goal is to get to the line. Don't beat yourself up. Don't linger so long saying, I could have, should have, would have, but move on and grow from it and learn. I got to get my leg up just a little bit higher and I got to get my step a little bit better. That threw me off my step. You know, you, you keep going and keep running. Don't linger on knocked over hurdles, okay? Let's do one more. <laughs> um, one more. Here's a question. It says, why do I feel or how do I feel like I'm new again? Like when, they're, you know, when you're freshly saved or just born again. And the honey, but the honeymoon stage seems to be over. And now I'm just going through the motions of Christianity. It's a good question. It's a great question. And I want to start out with a scripture text that is often used uh, that people bring up some preacher preached it to him sometime and and they uh they use it as uh, an example of getting back to it and it's in revelation uh, the second chapter and it's when jesus is speaking to the church in ephesus and he says this to them he says but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first if not I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So I hear people say all the time, I want to get back to my first love in my relationship with God. Any of you ever said that, thought that, heard that? I want to get back to my first love. And what they mean is I want to get back to goosebumps every time I go to church, every time I listen to a worship song. I want to feel the goosebumps. I want to feel the glory. I want to just 
be thinking about God all the time and loving God, and, and they've come to embrace an idea that's really, I'll tell you what, that's a tyranny to your relationship with God. When the writer is speaking of first love, he's not talking about chronological first love, even though he tells us to go back. He's talking about priority of love, right? So, in other words, not going back and recapturing what I had in those feelings and emotions at first, but putting that love back in its proper priority and place as first in my life, okay? Getting back to that kind of love again. So, I think it's really important for us to understand that feelings and goosebumps in the Christian life come and go. They rise and fall. Every relationship you have in your life, think of your marriage, think of other relationships you've had, They have that initial, C.S. Lewis compared it to the spark that gets an an internal combustion engine going. You got the gas, you got the spark, you got the oxygen, boom, this car starts and it gets it moving. And that's what many of us experience when we fall in love. And then we want to keep going back to that explosion that we had at the beginning and we wonder why we can't capture it. And the reason why we can't capture it is because we were never designed to live on the initial explosion. If you lived on that, it would fry you. Can you imagine being in the state of early love continually in your life? You'd be sick and broken down. You wouldn't be able to think clearly. You could get nothing done. It was the spark that got you going. But then love matures and love grows. And, and you learn the choice of love. You learn that that person you're with is difficult sometimes, and you don't get them, and you don't understand why she is doing that. And, you know, that's when you start saying things like, women, you can't live with them, you can't live without them, right? And, and, the, and all the women are saying the same things about their husbands. And what happens in that point is that's when love has the opportunity to mature. And it's the same way with God. I want to tell you something. You get into a relationship with God, and you get rocked. The Lord starts to move in your life, and then you start to walk down the road, and you know what happens? God starts to do things you don't understand. He starts to do stuff in your life you don't agree with. He starts to meddle with your habits, your hang-ups, and your hurts. He moves into, the, into your home, and he starts rearranging your furniture and doing renovations. He, he walks right through your front door and goes to that dark closet you have with all those skeletons, and he opens it up and says, see this right here? That's what I'm working on. And you're like, oh, I thought we were going to go to the bedroom. You see, you follow me? I thought this was going to be romance forever. It's not. You're growing in God. You're maturing in God, and it's the same way. And so let me, let me just tell you this. Sometimes the reason you can't get back to where you were is because there is sin in your life, and you need to, and, and you'll know what it is. The Holy Spirit will show you, and you need to repent. You need to get help. You need to do what it takes to move out of that and begin to walk in strength, okay? And that means accountability and everything else. But sometimes it's just that you're maturing and you're growing. And I compared it in the first service to a tree. And if you look at trees around here in the winter, you all know, if you look at trees around here in the winter and you judge a tree by its fruit around here in the winter and its leaves or lack thereof, you will conclude the tree is dead. But what's actually happened is the tree has gone below the surface and begun to broaden its base and reach for water and prepare itself for its next season of growth, right? And sometimes when you don't feel much going on in your life with God and you don't feel, you know, emotions and and goosebumps, what's really happening is your roots are stretching out. Your roots are going deep and they're preparing you for your next season. 
And if you get just caught up in, i got to feel this to feel like God's with me, you'll miss the work of God in the season of maturity. And so for some of you, you're right now, you're in a winter. And winters have value. So get some people to come alongside you, and even though you're in a winter, say, I'm in a winter, but I just need somebody to stand alongside me, and I can't do this on my own. And endure that winter and watch when spring comes, you'll bear fruit you never thought you could bear. And your influence in God will be greater than it's ever been before. And you'll be glad you went through it. It's always 2020 hindsight, but you'll be glad you went through it. So some of you are in a winter season. Some of you are learning the maturing of love, and it's okay. So if you're wanting to get back to the goosebumps, it may not happen. It may be a, a, an unrealistic expectation. And it's probably something you just need to let go and say and embrace the idea that your love is growing up. It's finally growing up. You're finally getting beyond immature puppy love. And you're moving into real love, the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Deep love, abiding love. Amen? Does that help?